Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Okay, so we are in the middle of our series on worship. And uh, if you missed the, the, the podcast last week or the service last week, because we had a service on a podcast, so if you missed the service <laughs> last week, and um, go back and listen to the podcast, you can find it on any of your Apple or Android devices on your favorite podcast app at RCC, Roots Community Church, RCC Phoenix. Or you can go to, Roots, uh, or you can go to rccphoenix.com, look for the, the podcast page and listen to the last message because it was a big one that was really important. Uh, for the series, and it's the, the we, we discussed the number one word in the Old Testament for worship, and so it's the one that you're not going to want to miss. So this week we're going to continue on that, and uh, so let's try to figure out who was listening last week, if y'all were here. So I'll give you a little bit of quiz for your first line in your notes here. Um, we talked that there was a number of different words in the original um, languages of the Bible for our one English word of worship. Anybody remember how many words there were? How many? Sixteen. Sixteen. Man, Anita. Scholars in the house. Right there. So your first line of your notes right there. <clears throat> there are 16 different words in the Bible used for our one English word of worship. And so in my study, I went through all of these and kind of broke them down into three categories because some, several of them are very familiar. So that next line in your notes is these words are basically break down into three categories. And last week we talked about category one. Next line in your notes there is submission. I should have asked if I need to remember that one, but I'm sure she did. Um, the first submission, and it's the main word for worship in the Old Testament is shalkah, and that's how you that's how you sound it out right there um, in in the the parentheses in the brackets shaw s h a w kah shalkah. So any you guys who are possibly have a Hebrew test later in the week, now you're equipped. Um, but this week we're going to look at the second category. Um, of those words, and that second category is the word honor. Honor. So what we're doing is we're taking a biblical-based view and approach to try to define what worship really is. And so um, what we're trying to do is get away from the culturally inspired view that worship is the music that happens before the sermon is preached, and we'll find in the Bible that that is not the case, okay? And so that's what we're doing here, is we're going through and determining what actually is worship. So, this category two honor, let's read um, uh, Hebrews 9, verses 13 through 14. And this is, uh, this is one of the main words that uh, is used in this context for this word honor. It's the Greek word uh, laturo. I didn't put in your notes because... I didn't think you really wanted to know what Lutero was, but it's the word Lutero. I can send it to you in an email if you want it later. <clears throat> but before I read this passage, just give me I'll give you one little bit of clarity on what's going on here, what they're referring to. Before Christ died, the way that our sins or the, the, the children of Israel's sins were forgiven is they had to go to a physical building, which was their tabernacle, and they had to bring a physical animal, which was typically a sheep or a lamb, it had, there were several requirements around it. It had to be spotless. It had to be uh, you know, under a certain age. It had to be um, the first one of the litter. And they would bring that and literally sacrifice. They would kill the animal. And God used the blood of the animal that ran on the altar as a, a replacement of the sins of the nation of Israel. 
So to get forgiveness, they literally had to go sacrifice. They did this in a number of different ways, and they actually had uh, uh, one of their priests, the Levite priest, would actually sacrifice once a year on behalf of the whole nation. That had to be a big sacrifice, but he, he did it on behalf of the entire nation. So when Christ dies on the cross, that old way of doing things is gone. His blood is spilled on the cross, and it's not just for the Jewish people anymore, or for the nation of Israel, it is now extended to all of us, unless you're Jewish in this room, you are a Gentile. It is extended to all of us as Gentiles, and we have to believe in Christ for his sacrifice, that blood, to cover our sins after we die to go to heaven. He paid the sacrifice for us. There's no more of this physical sacrifice at a physical building with a physical animal. It is belief in Christ, and that blood covers our sins. You follow me? So in Hebrews, this is what he's talking about, okay? Under the old system, what we just described, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship, this word liturio, we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is an example of this, the second category of word worship, or, uh, and which falls under the category honor. So, we're going to look at the two definitions of this word honor today, and what it means, and we're going to drill down how we can really honor through worship. And worship by honoring. Okay? So, definition one of this word honor that is used in the Bible is this. To show public respect or reverence. To show public respect or reverence. Okay. So the question to us now is, if we're going to show respect or reverence, how do we show respect and reverence? Well, the, the literal definition of that, it's the next line in your notes, is this. If we respect someone, we admire them or hold them in high regard for their abilities, achievements, or qualities. <clears throat> abilities, achievements, or qualities. This is the literal definition of the word respect. So, let me give you a kind of more practical example of honoring somebody for their ability, okay? So if the greatest basketball player in the world walked in the room, all of us would go, look, there's Kobe Bryant. There's no arguing with me about that. Don't talk to me about LeBron. Don't talk to me about anybody else. Kobe Bryant will walk in here. Let's see. Well, uh, we're passing over him. Um, so it's like the Passover. Bible joke. Um, so, Cody Bryant walking the room, boy, go, oh my goodness, man, this guy drops, you know, 81 points on one team in one game. He has the second longest streak of 50-point games in a row in history. He dropped 60 on his way out in his last game. And we would all, obviously, you know, whether you think he's the greatest or not, which, you know, there's room at the cross for you. But um, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Um, but if, if whether you think he's the greatest or not, you have to admire, man, this guy has done great stuff. He has had this crazy wild ability to play basketball and so we can honor him or show a high degree of respect 
to somebody who has an ability. Okay? So achievements. Kind of a, a how can we, you know, when we look at a modern day achievement, what does it mean to respect somebody who has achievement? Well, we would have to meet Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. And you're like, why in the world would we have to respect his achievements? Because he still has a fan base after years of mediocrity and losing. Where he has achieved something great, even though he has a terrible team. And he continues to be. And all these people every year go, the Cowboys are going to win. And I'm like, no, they're not. It's been three decades, right? Almost. It's just not going to happen. If you're a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry. But it's the truth. See, I'm a Bucks fan in Tampa, and they're terrible all the time. So none of us walk in with any expectations. We just, go, we just, don't, we just don't want to you know, lose all the games. Just win one, and we're good. So that would be, <laughs> we're having a little fun with this, but you understand what it means to kind of look at a modern day version of an achievement, right? So let's, so let's move away from uh, Matt's comedy hour here and plan a pivot and look at the last one, which is the qualities. So what I want us to do is I want us to think for a second, and I put a, um, uh, a line on your notes, it's just there for you to fill out. It says, who is someone that we respect because of their qualities? Or more, more specifically, their high character. Because we talk about qualities, you know, you can like somebody for some super, superficial thing, but if you go and ask somebody who their favorite person is, and ask them why they're their favorite person, they're more than likely, almost every time I've asked this question, it comes back to some intangible quality. They are wildly compassionate. They are insanely generous. They have shown great um, uh, mercy to other people. This person um, has just a caring heart. All those intangible things. So if you want, if you have a spot to write their name down if you want. If not, just put that person in your mind and think about somebody who has that those qualities that you would honor or hold at a high degree of respect or admire. Okay. For me. I look at this um, at two different, I have two different answers to this question, and it's because it's just the way my mind works. I only gave you one blank, but I have two answers, so um, that was a miss on my hand. But this person, you know, for me, is the, the first person that I would answer this question about is my dad. So my dad passed away in 2004, it's about 15 years this September that he's been gone. And the last portion of his life, if he were here to tell you those, about those last five years, he was not proud of those last five years. Reconciled with God before he passed away, but when Ron Poole raised me and my brother and was in the house with him and my mom, I had so much admiration for that man. I went through my teenage years of, I know everything and you're, my parents are dumb, like I'm sure no one else did that, but I did. And then after I got over that little hump, I went, oh my gosh, I know nothing. I need to go back to my father and ask him questions. And that, when I talked about my dad or when, you know, this is going to wildly age me, but when I first moved out of the house, there were no cell phones. I, there was a time, kids, where there was no cell phone. I didn't have a cell phone, but when I got one, I was so excited when I saw dad pop up on the screen and he was calling me. Because there was something in me that just would kind of well up. It would say, man, I just, I like talking to him. I like, it's, it's the father and son relationship, but he's been through a lot. He's sacrificed a lot for our family. There's something in me that rises up with that honor, that admiration for him. Now, somebody I have admiration for that I haven't met yet is someone who kind of lives in, in my vein of ministry, right? And 
His name is Robbie Zacharias. I don't know if you know Robbie Zacharias. If you don't, go YouTube him. You will be on there for hours listening to this guy. He's brilliant. He's a Christian apologist. Basically what that is is a fancy name for someone who answers questions about the gospel. Somebody has a question about a complex issue that's in scripture, and he gives a very a very um, understandable, clear answer for people's questions. What he does, him and his team, go into secular universities, the largest secular universities in the country, and he has question and answer sessions with mostly people who are either atheists or skeptics or non-believers. Most of them come and ask questions about all the complicated issues, you know, morality and truth and all of these things. He answers all these questions, and, you know, I was thinking about it when I was, you know, I asked myself this question before I asked you, and I'm sitting there studying, and I go, man, Robbie Zacharias walking the back of that door while I was speaking, I might just have me like a <laughs> moment, like, hi, you know what I mean? I would do my best to not try to, you know, fumble over my words, because I'd be so excited, and I would trip out if he walked up here after the message and went, hey, man, you want to go to breakfast tomorrow? Yes. I could come sleep at your hotel room and wait for that to happen. You know what I mean? That's not weird. But I could come and do that. And uh, so what What I do, I would be full of anticipation. I would be like, oh, man, I want to ask this guy questions, and I want to get his insight on things, and I'm going to go home, and I'm probably not going to sleep, but I'm going to charge my phone, and I'm going to wake up every hour to make sure somehow it didn't just explode or something, and my phone's working, and the alarm's on. And I'd get up and I'd be there early and make sure, hey man, you need a ride? We still meeting? Come on, let's go. Because there was such a this anticipation. And as I was thinking about, man, that would be cool, that would be awesome. This question hit me. That first question in your notes is how would you act when you engage with someone that you admire or have a high degree of respect for? That's how I would act. The second question hit me in the middle of my excitement is, how do I act when I engage with the Lord? And you ever been in prayer and like got a roundhouse kick to the jaw? That was me. Because it was like a conviction set in because that excitement in me, if I'm completely honest, when I got to get up early and meet the Lord, I can come up with all kinds of excuses to let myself off the hook. Man, I had a late night last night. Met with some people doing your work. I'm going to sleep in this morning. Um, Did not crack open his word today. And am I so used to being in the freedom of an environment to where I don't have to crack it open because I'll do that tomorrow. No one's beating down my door to see if I have one of these books, as it is in some countries. Who I watched a video of the underground church in China open up a box of Bibles that had been smuggled, and people rushed to them, grabbed them, wept, and clutched God's word to their heart. And I thought, I don't hold it like that. I sat there in conviction of my own self going, where did that honor, respect, admiration that I have for the Lord go? 
because I would be all about it if one of my heroes walked in the room. If my dad calls, there's no way in the world I'm being like, yo, bro, I'm tired. I'll see you some other time. No, I'm getting up to go and push through and go see him. But when it comes to God, I deal with him as a peer. And that is the opposite definition of honor. I started asking my own self, how do I talk to God when I'm upset? Why'd you let this happen to me? Don't you know what that person did hurt? Where were you at when all this went down, bro? And I heard my own words in my memory come out of my mouth. And I thought I did not talk to him with the honor and the respect and the admiration that he deserves because I got used to him. I got used to being able to be like, I'm going to pray right now. No one can stop me. I could drive and sit in a public place or a restaurant and put on my headphones and read my word with no pushback at all. And if I'm completely transparent with you, I fight apathy just as much as the next person. I don't want you to feel condemnation, because that's not what I'm trying to portray to you, and that's not what the Lord did to me. I just want to say, have we become so used to our Lord that the times we admired him and our mind was blown and he did so much for us and he answered the prayer that we get past that point and go cool, he's there me and Nina wrote a song years ago and one of the lyrics is played over in my head as I was getting ready for this message and it says, go past my lips and read my heart and I can say great things about the Lord, but in my heart, do I still honor and revere Him because doing that is an act of worship? When, ad, when the admiration, respect, and honor rises in my heart to the Lord, it is, next line in your notes, an act of The next line, when my excitement to meet him is greater than any other excitement I know, it is an act of worship to him. When I decide to follow his commands, the next line of your notes, when I decide to follow his commands and not the destructive desires of my flesh, because I want to honor the God who miraculously made and miraculously saved me. It is an act of worship. Let's go back to that scripture we read in Hebrews 9 real quick. And let's find something very interesting. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from a ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so we can worship the living God. Just think how much more important 
my time and my worship to him is than my excitement to meet another created being. How much more should the honor, the respect, the admiration well up inside of me, how much more admiration should I have for him over anybody else, regardless if they're some kind of hero to me? You heard Nina when she gave her testimony. She sang a line of a song that says, if I could write my story, you, God, would be the hero. And if he's the real hero of your story, he has to be the one that holds the position of highest honor. Why? Because he's going to come down on you? No, because it is an act of worship to him. Honoring him. The second definition on the other side of that coin is to serve or do the service of. To serve or do the service of. Most of the words in this category fall under this definition. There's a lot of them. Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10. Let's read Next, the devil took him, Jesus, to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Listen to the arrogance of this. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down. We talked about that last week, what the significance of kneeling down was. If you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. When I was doing my study, when I read this word and I saw you must worship the Lord, I'm like, oh, this is this is the word that the definition is tied to, but it's not. It's the word that I have underlined in your, in your notes there. It's actually, and serve only him. Serving the Lord is an act of worship. So how do we serve the Lord? Serving the Lord consists of us, next line in your notes, obeying his commands and following his instructions. Obeying his commands and following his instructions. So if serving the Lord is obeying his commands and following his instructions, the next place, the next question we have to ask logically is this. What are his commands and instructions? Because I want to worship him and if that's following, if that's serving him, which is following his commands and instructions, the best way to know what the Lord wants of us is to read his word. To read his word. Let's look at the words of Jesus from Scripture in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Ready? But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second commandment is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law 
and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Let me put that in a in a um, in a in a way that we here would try to say that those two are the main roots, and every other law, every other command that was ever given by God branch off from those two roots. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. All encompassing, all overarching. It's the umbrella. Everything falls under there. Everything stems and grows from those two roots. So, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the command from, from Christ himself out of his mouth to love God with everything you've got and love people how do we love the Lord our God with all of our heart if you look up this word this word heart points to our will when we next on your notes submit our will to God similar to Shaka how we talked about last week when we submit our will to God it is an act of worship. When we love him so much, we say, I'm not going to follow the fleshly nature that I have. I'm going to follow the spirit of God that's residing inside of me. And we make a conscious decision, which is attached to your will. It's an act of worship. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our soul? That definition of the word soul is the seat or foundation of our feelings, desires, and affections. It's also regarded as our moral being. So when we love God with our feelings and desires, next line of your notes, when we love God with our feelings and desires, when we obey his guidelines and instructions for morality, it is an act of worship to him. How in the world do we love God with our feelings and desires? As believers in Christ, if you're a believer in this room, you gave your life to Christ. You say this before, he did not come to make good or bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And there is a new birth that happens inside of you. The Spirit of God is alive inside of you. You have regenerated on the inside, and you are, Romans tells us, we're constantly at war with the flesh. So when we submit our will to God, and we choose, I am not, I know I have a feeling from my flesh that's going to lead me down this destructive path, but I'm going to, I'm going to submit that to Scripture and what God wants, and that when we have the feeling that rises from the Spirit of God that's living inside of us, when we follow that way, and not the flesh. It is an act of worship to God. <coughs> How do we love the Lord our God with all of our mind? <clears throat> that, the definition of that word mind is our way of thinking. So when we love God by adopting his way of thinking, this next line, thinking, when we choose to think about, listen to that, when we choose to think about the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and a good report, those are listed in Philippians 4.8, instead of the things our flesh wants to focus on, and when we set our minds on the things above and not on the things of earth, Colossians 3.2, when we do that, it is an act 
of worship to God. How? Because he has commanded us, we're serving him, following his commandments, and his number one commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So if you're doing this, it is an act of worship to him. The second half of that statement he made is how to is love your neighbor as, our, as ourselves. So how do we do that? We first got to define who our neighbor is. It's very clear and very easy. Your neighbor is everybody. It doesn't mean that your physical next door neighbor is just the guy on the right and left of you. And if you have somebody on the back side of you, you got to be nice to them too. No. It's everybody that you come in contact with every day. You are supposed to example and show the love that God has for them through you to them. And I guarantee you, not one of us is successfully doing that. I'm at the first of the line 100% of the time. Let me give you a real practical example. I'm putting your notes here. This is something I kind of encourage you with. When we pull to the side of the road and feed the hungry, because our hearts burst with the compassion that comes from the Lord, it is an act of worship. You are not worshiping the person you are giving the food to. You are obeying the command of your God to love people as yourself. And so you driving through somewhere and getting a meal and handing it to them and telling them God loves them and praying with them at that moment is an act of worship to God. Every time we serve others, we serve fellow believers in the church. We serve the lost by presenting them the gospel. Next sign of your notes. It is an act of worship to God. So that word honor means to show great admiration, great respect for and it also means to serve. When we desire to live a life of worship, it doesn't mean that we get up and all we sing all day is the songs that we sing on Sunday. No, it's so much more. Honoring, admiring, talking about God in a way that shows his great position in our life and our view of him. Serving and following his commands. These are all acts of worship. We're going to read the entire chapter of Psalm 100. Don't freak out. It's only five verses. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. These are David's words. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you Israel. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. 
For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Here David is in the Old Testament, even before Jesus is talking, realizing that God has provided a way for their sins as a nation to be forgiven, all the things that he has done, the foul, messed up stuff that he has done in his life, and he realizes there is a way for him to be made right with God, and he's saying, shout, this is something that wells out of me. I will serve the Lord, and not just be like, oh yeah, I'll do whatever you want. No, with gladness, with a happy heart. He's coming before him with singing. He is acknowledging that God is the one who made us. We are not self-sufficient without him. He is the creator. We are the created. He is faithful. He is good. Yeah. He, his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures for all generations. He's constantly pointing back to him and saying, that is the God I want to serve. Let me change that word out. That is the God I want to worship. Amen. That's the God I want to worship. The one who's always good. The one who is outside of time. He is sitting in a future place of something that you're praying about today with full knowledge how it turns out. And he is talking to you as the all-knowing God from that position as well to tell all of us, hey, trust me, I know how this turns out. I'm the one that's in control. That's the God I want to honor to talk well about, to get up in the morning and go, I've got to go talk to him. I've got to read his word. That's the one that I want to hold in high esteem. That's the one that I want to serve. That's the one that I want to follow what his word is. That's the one I want to submit to. That's the one I want to worship. Zero mention about a verse, a chorus, and a bridge. None. Why? Because living worship is far more important than singing the songs. The songs has a place, and we'll talk about that in a, in a, in later in the series. It has a place for us. But living worship, now that is where we really find out if we really Every time, last on your notes, we honor the Lord's requests, His instructions and commands, it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. <coughs> one of the things that you'll find, and one of my personal goals for all of us, is that we be a worshiping church. Does that mean the music's going to be good? Yeah. But that's far down the list. <coughs> Does that mean that we're going to have opportunities for people to come use our gifts? Absolutely, but that's far down the list. Does that mean that we're going to write songs? Yep, we're going to do all that. It's far down the list. Submission. Honor. These are the first two things that I want everybody who comes here 
not from an organization. So we can look at the world and say, we know how to do this. No. So that your roots grow down into a relationship with Christ that is so deep because of the level of worship that happens in you, that the fruit that comes out of that relationship is something that someone else has never tasted because it's so good. That depth of worship drives the relationship you have with him deeper and makes the fruit of your life sweeter. So will we do all of that and give our best to God and put our best foot forward to serve everybody in excellence? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we cannot be good at music and terrible at honor. We cannot be great at writing the hooks, man, that everybody's singing and be bad at submission. I don't care if anyone else sings the song. I care if you shall call before God. I care if you practice the liturgio honor with him. Because that is where the goodness is. That's not sexy. That's not fun. That's not the, yeah, the thing that we Jericho Martians shout about and we jump and holler. But that is the reality of where that growth comes from. Amen. And if you would submit and honor God, your relationship with him would flourish in ways that you can't even understand it could grow. You live. Matt, you're kind of excited about this one today. Got a little passionate there. Falling <laughs> kind of raised up a little bit. Got a little excited? Yeah, why? Because I'm talking to you. No superheroes in the room. Not even the guy who stands up here and sings or talks. Never. All of us going, let's go get him. <coughs> let's all worship together. Let's encourage and challenge each other in the way and the level that we submit to him, that we honor him, the way we talk about him and the way we serve him. And let that be the thing that fuels us to spurn each other onto good works, which is one of the things we're supposed to be doing as a fellowship and body of believers.